Welcome to the latest episode of Thinking Like a Lawyer. My name is Catherine Rubino. I'm a senior editor at Above the Law, and today I have, you know, my co-host is Chris Williams, also of Above the Law. Hi, Chris. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Pretty good. I guess I'll yeah. wait until we get into the small talk segment to. Well, that's as good a transition as any. Uh, we don't have any sound effects. Once again, uh, Joe Patrice is on family leave, uh, new dad, so he w- won't be here. So we don't have any official sound effects. So bum ba da, small talk. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So what did I do this weekend? I did not see Barbie. Still on the list of things to do, but I did see Real shame. Uh, Shakespeare. Shakespeare in the Park. So oh, nice. Yeah. So there was a we'll um, play. I think it was a uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona. Oh, very nice. Uh, have you seen it? Uh, no, no, okay, I, well, I'm, I haven't left the house much <laughs> in the well, last it's a, couple it's months. A, it's, a, it's a play by the Bard, and they, oh, sure. uh, they, 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 they took some liberties with it. One, it mm-hmm. was a musical, and oh. two, everyone was like dressed in like '70s clothing. So there was like one character who had like a white tux. And a uh, black shirt, like he was fresh out of Boogie Nights, you know, who we were doing like the these and vows. And it was fun. It was or fun. Or Saturday um, Night Fever, the actual movie from the 70s that it was referencing. You, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was nice. Um, got some recuperative sleep in, which is the good kind and not just the, the you know, I got 20 minutes before I got to do the next thing, sleep. And in uh, <laughs> a bit of nerddom. Uh, it was Poliwag Community Day. So for any Pokemon Go players out there, I got a rank 12 Poliwrath. So if you see me beating ass, <laughs> you know, that was from this weekend. Wow. So. That that really feels like a blast from the past. Uh, I, I definitely, you know, in the when it first was released, was all into it. I can remember seeing at the... Yeah, f- for sure. I mean, I was a person <laughs> in 2012 or whatever it was released. I can remember seeing the AT... Yeah, for sure. Oh, my God. I can remember sitting in the ATL offices and David Ladd, our former coworker, Joe and I all being like, if we go into the kitchen, we can catch a (laughs) whatever. I don't even remember what it was. Some carp, maybe a magic carp. Is that Mm -hmm. a thing? I feel like that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I definitely played for a minute, but I don't know. You had had to do you have to go places to play that game when really when I play games on my phone. I want to just kind of dissociate for a minute or two and just Fair. sit down. <laughs> and I think that if if you could, you know, I would get those. What were those things when the things would come to you? Oh, you the know, like you, the incense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. like you, that that was fun. <laughs> that was fun. I can remember definitely like playing in cabs as I was like, you know, mm-hmm. going from places in, in the city and be like, oh, there's one on that corner. Uh, if we stop at that light, I can get it. <laughs> in like the laziest version ever, I think is the opposite of what they intend with that game. But, you know, here we are. That's cool. Yeah, it was. I feel like everybody from like um, eight year olds to 86 year old clan members played that. Like it was the closest thing to world peace. It, um, it was a real vibe for a minute. Like, I, I, you know, I remember being on, like, a family vacation and, like, my little cousins playing it and, you know, <laughs> being like, oh, well, I'll go take a walk to the beach so that we can all catch some, I don't know, whatevers. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I mean, in, in my defense, and I don't know any of these names, I was never particularly into Pokemon pre the game. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. like, it wasn't like a property that I was already very familiar with. 
you know, unlike something like Barbie, for example, mm-hmm. where I was like, peaches and cream, Barbie, date at night, Barbie. That's exciting. <laughs> you know, a little different, but yeah. Yeah. What about you? Oh, what did I do? Uh, I went to my godmother's 70th birthday party. It was a surprise. I did not know it was a surprise party uh, Mm. until the day of. So I'm just very glad that I (laughs) didn't mess anything up. So, Mm. you know, points, points for me. But I was unaware it was a surprise party. But it was good. It was fun. It was my daughter's first party she's ever been to. So that was (laughs) a weird, um, a weird thing. But, you know. When you have a newborn baby, uh, you become the default kind of center of attention in a lot of ways. And a lot of mm-hmm. people come over and want to see you, want to touch the baby, want to hold the baby. You know, we got our a fair dose of germs and now we're home. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Well, I think that that might be all for small talk. Now we can start on our first story. Uh, the first story we are going to talk about this week is actually in the U.S. versus Hunter Biden case, although it's not about Hunter Biden. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a big law story, uh, but uh, it was revealed that there was an order to show cause why Latham and Watkins, who is representing uh, Hunter Biden, should not be sanctioned. Um, and when you go into the docket, it turns out the court believes that an attorney or a staff member at Latham and Watkins misrepresented who they worked for when they called the court. Apparently there was a document uh, filed by an amicus and there was some information in, in the brief that the, the attorneys at Latham and Wanted wanted either redacted or taken off of the public docket. And when they had somebody call on behalf of of the firm to have that information redacted. Uh, according to the court, that person said that they were working with the with the party that filed the amicus brief, mm-hmm. um, not somebody who was representing Hunter Biden. Latham very strongly uh, uh, object or, or denies this claim. Uh, and I think that the more I kind of dug into it and read the underlying documents, I, I have to say that uh, Latham's story definitely passes the smell test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it wasn't an attorney who was working on the case. It is somebody who was barred in New York, but somebody who works kind of uh, in their litigation services, kind of managing attorney, doing the administrative stuff for not just this case, kind of a bunch of cases. They don't know any of the substance of the case. And indeed, when they called and the whatever party they spoke to had a couple of questions about the specifics of the information they wanted redacted, and the person who the managing attorney call that called was like, oh, I don't know. I have to talk to the actual attorneys. I don't know the answer because <laughs> I don't know the substance of the case. Additionally, as they note in their letter that the um, caller ID <laughs> generally reflects that it's from Latham mm-hmm. <laughs> when they call places. So uh, it seems like uh, it would be highly unlikely that they would try to pull one over. And again, this is somebody, the, the you know, the, the litigation services, the staff member, is somebody who's worked at the firm for 18 years. And in the kind no one works at a firm like this for 18 years, has no kind of personal interaction on the case, is not actually working on the substance of the case and decides to throw their entire career away because of what? That they, you know, that there's some kind of a lie that they think would benefit their client that they don't even, they don't even represent them directly, right? They right. they work for a company, they work for a firm that represents them. Um, this is somebody, you know, who's you know spent a lot of years doing this kind of very technical work. It just seems, it it, it it would be shocking to me if there was some kind of actual ill intent as opposed to some sort of a just miscommunication. And, you know, the, the Latham letters talks about how somebody else from the clerk's office called back 
the Latham staff person. Uh, and they think that somehow in that, you know, so there's some sort of miscommunication as to who the caller was. And that's kind of where it happened. And, uh, you know, since then, I've looked back at the docket and there are no sanctions <laughs> for Latham. But there is an order um, that the judge put in saying that the anybody if anybody has any issues with anything on the docket, they have to speak to the clerk to the not to the clerk's office generally, but to the judge in the judge's office. So to kind of try to minimize these issues. But it seems unlikely that this kind of a, a, a professional was was doing something deliberately untoward. But because it's the Hunter Biden case, of course, <laughs> and that is like some sort of magic talisman for the far right, you know, say Hunter Biden three times in the mirror and, <laughs> you know, Bloody Mary comes or something. Um, you know, I, it, it feels bad that this became a big, bigger story than it probably needed to be because of that. Yeah. If it was anyone who wasn't Hunter Biden or Hillary Clinton, it would be like a, a, a non-issue. Mm-hmm. I, I we wouldn't even notice if it if it happened, you know. Even if the judge did, you know, think some some sort of similar malfeasance was going on, we wouldn't even know about it because no one's following every docket that closely. Right. <laughs> that when a misunderstanding happens, and I don't know, maybe it's my own personal set of experiences. But you know, when I worked at a big law firm and working with the managing attorney or litigation services offices, those are always the people that know their shit the best, right? Those are the ones that make sure that you're not missing your deadlines. They're the ones that are counting the days on the calendar to, to let you know that, you know, this is, you know, they send these, you know, automated emails like, you know, this is due on this day, that kind of, you know, stuff. These are people who really know their P's and Q's, you know, and they're kind of, you know, that's that's what their job is, not the substance of the law. Their the job is to make sure that you're filing your briefs on the right paper and that you have the right, the blue cover because you're filing in this court and or, you know, it's in this font because this judge's local rules say that it has to be in point 12 or whatever. So and that's certainly been my experience with, with these kinds of litigation services offices. And so that's my take. It's one of those things where people just, Sometimes they just want to make more things out of than it used to be. Oh, for sure. And, you know, certainly, you know, listen, at Above the Law, we get a lot of um, <laughs> unsolicited uh, reader emails. <laughs> a lot of them are wonderful. And, you know, if you have any tips about things that are going on in the legal world, you should feel free to reach out to us at tips at above the law dot com. <laughs> little plug there. Mm. But, you know, we get a lot of people who read our stories who you have opinions. <laughs> uh, so we get a lot of kind of unsolicited uh, responses to our work. And this one, any, you know, pulled out a lot of the crazies just who have some like Hunter Biden Google alert on their phone um, saying, this is obviously the worst thing that they could have done. I was like, how? Why? <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, even if it was somehow deliberate, which I again I don't think that that's what happened. It's my opinion that that's not what happened. But regardless, it was easily discoverable, mm-hmm. right? Like besides the caller ID, literally says the name of the firm. It would take about three seconds for them to contact the actual attorney's office, uh, for the people who actually filed the amicus brief, to find out whether or not this person where this person works this is not this is not some sort of like deep fake going on mm-hmm. here this is at best i think an honest mistake mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know which side necessarily the mistake was on but man uh, people are like this is obviously the worst thing and this is hunter biden trying to get away oh come on, come on, come now people oh, you don't understand it looks like an honest mistake because it's so corrupt <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. So you wrote a story about some uh, shenanigans in Alabama. You know, God God bless Alabama. Uh, no one else will. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a... And you're not talking about their football team. <laughs> no, no, no. They're, 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 they're. <laughs> but yeah, so there were, um, I guess this is uh, some, some Supreme Court gerrymandering shenanigans. Um, mm-hmm. there, was a, there was a recent case where, kind of surprisingly, the Supreme Court shot down the independent state legislator theory that would let... Correct. Well, I mean, that that's how crazy the independent state legislator theory was. Yeah, it was even so the crazy. Supreme Court. This Supreme Court was like, nah... <laughs> Yeah. Even unreasonable minds differed in this instance. They were like, okay, we're not going to go that far. And then good old Alabama, they were like, oh, we know our people better than, you know, federal courts, what have you. And that's just pretty language for we don't want to let black people vote. (laughs) So that's what happened. Alabama did in Alabama. And it's a weird thing because, you know, there there are people that talk about, you know, separation of powers issues. Oh, for like, for example, does Congress have the authority to impose an ethical code of conduct on the Supreme Court? Interesting questions. But this is just straight up <laughs> not paying attention or not listening to the authorities that be. And it's just a weird it's just a weird situation to deal with from the law and order party. So the Alabama legislature basically just have a has a a, a map of that cuts out what's supposed to be a second district of black voters. Right, because they were specifically mandated to have at least two districts that were uh, predominantly black. Right. Just because of like, you know, demographics and, you know, you know, equity in voting, dumb stuff. But still, like, <laughs> just, just, a, just the bedrock of, you know, I think democracy. the, the- the order said that uh, two districts, they, it required two districts in which black voters either compromise a voting age majority or something quite close to it. Right. And Alabama was like, nah, we, we, we're just going to we're just going to make a map and it's only going to have one. And like, I, no think bueno. the, I think the, the vibe was very much be thankful you have one. It is interesting too. this 
this kind of, you know, defiance of court orders uh, in this way is is interesting kind of how legal academia has been responding to. We also wrote some stories this week about that. A Notre Dame law professor, uh, Derek Muller, tweeted out that he couldn't see how Alabama's maps defied the court's order, <laughs> which, you know, <laughs> apparently counting a two is a rough one here. And of course, of course, he's a expert in mm. election laws. And like, I think that there is something to say about like math being difficult. Like I think, uh, what sure. is it? Bertrand Russell spent like two books in like Principia Mathematica trying to prove that one plus one equals two. But this wasn't like a complex set theory argument. This was a guy who was like, <laughs> nah, you could have done the fingers test for this. <laughs> Just like, one, one. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't know. Maybe the map was, I don't, I, there, listen, there's no justification. He's since deleted the tweet after like a bunch of, you know, other mm. people on Twitter. I guess, are we, are we calling it, we're still calling it Twitter, right? We're not calling it X. We're, we're not going to make fetch happen. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the reference. Yeah. yeah, a bunch of people piled on. We're like, mm, it's yes. too hard. Is that is that? Is, pay, yeah. pay attention, Notre Dame law students. You have an expert who can't yeah. like. You trust this basics. person to calculate your grades? <laughs> <laughs> like, if Johnny has one apple, <laughs> Johnny has one more apple. Yeah. No. Uh, but so he deleted the tweet uh, with no explanation sort of what 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 his thinking was there but it mm-hmm. seems a lot like he got called out and then all of a sudden you know deleted the tweet but don't mm-hmm. worry people have taken screenshots so it lives oh, forever yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's interesting too because you know you, you called sort of the GOP the, the party of law and order and they're the ones who are going around defying court orders but you know they're not the only ones who are are taking that as the political path forward. Mark Tushnet, a Harvard law professor, wrote an open letter to mm. Joe Biden along with uh, some uh, political scientists, saying that they thought that what Biden should do is just ignore the Supreme Court because hmm. they're, <laughs> they're, they're unpopular uh, and they their opinions do not reflect the majority of what the supreme of what you know the the country thinks about all these issues therefore we should not be beholden to them mm. what were your thoughts on it i mean listen it's it's very tempting to say like this supreme court is ridiculous but that is a wildly dangerous move in mm. in my estimation the whole point of the court was that they weren't supposed to they were supposed to protect the minority against the tyranny of the majority right mm. and if the only thing that matters according to this theory this kind of popular constitutionalism is what does the majority think well mm. then there's no protections right and right. and right now liberal ideals might benefit from this kind of worldview but i don't think that historically that was true and i don't think that that's a good path forward i think that that's just a way to break the system now query is the system so broken that it doesn't matter? Maybe, right. but but if we ever gonna kind of salvage a workable constitutional system, we, we, we're gonna need a court. Mm. <laughs> and maybe, maybe there are reforms that we can have, but something to kind of protect against the tyranny of the majority seems seems like a good idea. There's a, yeah. there's a purpose for that, I think. Yeah, I feel like I treaded similar waters, especially around the overturning of Roe, and mm-hmm. also with uh, the Bruin, the gun decision, there were a bunch of uh, constitutional sheriffs that were like, we will we will abide by this law. We won't abide by this law. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just interesting to see those places where people decide if, this, if using discretion is the proper thing to do. 
Yeah, I mean, the only way the system actually works is if you listen to the court, regardless of whether or not you enjoy the results of the court. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, listen, the people who are really mad, the only only people really who are talking about this uh, Tushnet open letter are far right sources being like, look at, we told you the Dem, the liberals were terrible. Mm-hmm. Look what they're saying we should do with the Supreme Court. Don't worry, they're utterly silent <laughs> when it comes to what yeah. the Alabama is actually doing yeah. in respect to listening to the Supreme Court. Can you believe they're doing the things we're doing? <laughs> precisely, precisely. So our our last story, our colleague Stacy Zareski wrote, and it's about how wildly out of touch incoming uh, law students are. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a, a new study by the University of Illinois College of Law professor Jennifer Robin Nolt and Illinois law graduate Sam Barter talking about or, you know, studying the opinions of incoming law students and how well they think that they're going to do in law school. They all think they're going to do fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> and this is another one of those things where it's like if Johnny has two apples, but it's harder to it's harder to it's harder to yeah, see mean, water when you're a fish, you know? <laughs> Cuz like I was I was in a similar boat. I thought, "Okay, I'm about to I was top of my class." I'm going to be top of my class here. But then I get that. And I'm like, oh, everybody was top of their class where they were. <laughs> exactly. Know? Exactly. That's not enough. <laughs> yeah. Something I think it was 95 percent of incoming law students think that they're going to be in the top 50 percent. That is yeah. not how math works. Yeah. Uh, that, that's going to be like the sub theme of this. <laughs> if it is how the curves work, there should be some ABA issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can't all be in the top. And I think that, you know, and, and I've spent some time at my years at Above the Law talking to potential law students and law students who have options about where they're thinking about what law schools to attend. And I always refer them to Law School Transparency. It's a website that kind of is an amalgamation of all the different data points that we have of law schools. And I always tell them to look at the what, how many people at the law school when they graduate, how many people are getting jobs? What kind of jobs are they getting? Are those the jobs that you want? And, you know, people tell me, oh, yeah, 10 percent. I want to be a big law attorney. Cool. Law school I want to go to or I think I've gotten into more accurately. uh, About 10 percent of people go to big law. I'm like, well, those aren't great odds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, maybe you should consider, you know, or or 2 percent or, you know, whatever. Like, well, I'll be one of the ones that do it. I'm like, how much of that of this class do you think thinks they're going to be the ones? You know, you know, and and if you didn't have the grades to get into the law schools where, you know, 90, 80, 90 percent are going to big law, what makes you think then that now you're going to be in that top percentage that's going to be able to get that job Mm. that, you know, you say you want? (laughs) I think that, you know, and it's we see the same thing in, in law firm life, too, you know, when they're people are looking at what law firms to go to and they they look at whether or not everyone's getting bonuses or what the standard is for getting bonuses at the firms that they're looking at. And, you know, they say, well, I'm always going to be able to bill my hours. Everyone thinks they're going to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> is everyone actually getting that bonus? If not, then you should take it as a very real or you will not necessarily have control over whether or not you are the one who's mm-hmm. billing those hours or doing those things. I think I think this thing can also factor into people that get conditional full rides. Because it's mm. like, um, they'll be like, oh, I remember one of the schools I got into, I had a full ride if I could maintain a particular GPA. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, 
if everyone is getting this and the curve is a thing, <laughs> <laughs> there will be people that necessarily end up paying when they thought they had a free ride. So and that's a lot. That's a lot of stress. It's not just you don't get to do what you want to do. It's like all of a sudden you got a bill that's due at the end. Yeah. And you didn't think you had a bill, <laughs> which I guess is some good motivation to read. But, you know, <laughs> I certainly, you know, all these things are, are good reasons to to be diligent at, mm. at the task that you're doing. But I think that what this, these numbers really show is that a lot of people who are people who are going to law school, those are already those are a self-selected group. Right. That's not the average human that exists. This is a group of people that already have taken a very difficult exam to prove that they want to, which is a, you know, a heartache. It's, it costs money to do the application process. It's more, there's a test, there's essays, there's all this other stuff. They've already kind of self-selected into this motivated group of folks. They already want the kind of job that being a lawyer is that they know requires time and research and all these other kind of, you know, built in. So this is a, a self-selected, highly motivated group of individuals now, that's why I think that's also part of why they all think that they're the they're the ones that are going to be in the, the top percentage. But it's it's worth noting that or remembering for if you have a wannabe law student in your life, you may you may really think that you are the one that is going to be the very top. But everyone thinks that mm-hmm. everyone. I think that what you were saying about, you know, you don't you don't notice the t- kind of temperature going up. Mm-hmm. When you're in the middle of it is very accurate. And once you're in law school, it's weird. And this is one of those things where it's like you, it's hard to know who has what grades. Even mm-hmm. the person that you think is the laziest person in the group still got there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. It's like they're, you know, that's one of the things about being in a peer group. It's like, sure, you, you can find ways to differentiate yourself. But also it's like that's that's your cohort. Listen, there are plenty of school, well, there are not plenty, there are law schools where it doesn't matter. You graduated and, mm-hmm. you know, you're not failing. If you're going to a T14 school and, you know, you've got grades, mm-hmm. good job. You're mm-hmm. probably doing all right unless you want, and, and but you're doing all right. You're going to get a job. Are you necessarily going to get that clerkship that you wanted? No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there, there's, you know, you think that you're going to be at the top, but that doesn't always make it true. Want and reality are often quite different. I thought you were going for a Thanos quote. Uh, I think there's a point where he's like, reality is often disappointing. So yes, yes, I should have. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they can edit that in. You know, just change my voice a little. Don't ever know. Reality is quite disappointing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, it looks like we are winding down here. Uh, Any other thoughts on uh, the summer as it's developed thus far, Chris? Um, Cliché, but the weather's really nice. You and I have different definitions (laughs) of nice, but I appreciate that. (laughs) I mean, and it it also could be uh, enough of a geographical difference where there's like some, you know, difference. But my my sky is great. I don't know about yours. Like, <laughs> listen at the moment, yes, but we've just gotten off of some pretty brutally hot weather, uh, which <sighs> I did not enjoy. No, here's here's the thing, and, and here, lots of rain. Different. Here's what might be different: the the heat wave was cool for me because I have air conditioning. I didn't leave the house, so that helps. Sure, sure. <laughs> In my house, I wear a sweater, but outside feels awful. <laughs> 
All right. Well, uh, that is that is a fair point. Uh, but thanks to everyone for listening. You should be reading uh, what the stories that we talk about on AboveTheLaw.com. You can find me on the socials at Catherine One. Chris is at Rights for Rent. You should check out the other podcasts on the Legal Talk Network. And I host a podcast about diversity and the law called The Jabot. I think that that's all the things that Joe usually says at the end that I try to make fun of him for. (laughs) But uh, Joe will be back shortly for those of you who miss the uh, dulcet tones of his quite distinctive voice. See y'all next week. See you next week. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.